your son prayed for us. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And Lord, as we come to your word today and as we as we look into your word, I pray that you will set us apart for the ministry that you have for us. I pray that as we look at what your word has to say and as we look at what your word requires of us, that we will take seriously the position that we have been given in you and by you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, obviously, pastor isn't here today. And I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed the series that we've been going through on the great restoration, how Jesus makes all things new. I've been reminded of a lot of things that I already knew, and I've been taught quite a few new things in the sermon that he's been going through. And I really like seeing where God tells people what he's going to do. He even goes so far as to show people what he's going to do. And suddenly Jesus is there and people are like, what? Where did that come from? It just seems to be the pattern over and over and over. I also want to say that I am very thankful to be in a church where week in and week out, and month in and month out, our pastor brings to us the truth of the Word of God, and he's continually teaching us, continually showing us what God's Word says and how it applies to our lives. But on that, mo- on that note, I also want to thank you because every, every week, week in, week out, month in, month out, you're all here too. And I am glad that you have decided to live dangerously by coming here and, li- and being part of this congregation. Now you laugh, but that's really what I want to talk about and what I want to look at today. Pastor's been going through the Great Restoration, everything that Christ has done for us. And I wanted to piggyback off of that, but I also didn't want to steal Pastor's thunder for anything that he's going to cover in in future sermons or repeat most of what Pastor had done previously. So we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today. And... uh, We're not going to focus on the first nine and a half chapters because that would be a repeat of everything that Pastor has been teaching us up to this point, of everything that he's been going over. Where we're going to start out is in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Now, a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book. Uh, A lot of people think it was Paul. Others think it might have been Apollos or uh, one of one of the other uh, apostles or leaders in the early church, um, the author never gives his name. Uh, the book of Hebrews is also, from what we can tell, it was written to Jewish Christians. Now there's debate about where these Christians were, whether they were in Jerusalem and Israel or whether they were in Italy. I don't think any of that really necessarily matters, but it was 
it was aimed at Jewish Christians, and it was aimed at strengthening their faith by reminding them of everything that Christ had done and everything that Christ had fulfilled and everything that Christ had replaced in the old system that they came out of. Uh, They were constantly reminded in in the first nine and a half chapters of the shadow of the old system that that the their temple system was and their sacrifice system was and their their entire priesthood they were reminded hey that was the shadow that was that was God's way of showing you what was going to happen and now Christ has come and he's fulfilled all that he has replaced this system because who needs the shadow when the real thing is here But like I said, we're skipping the first nine and a half chapters because we're going to jump into the section where the author of Hebrews switches from reminding them of everything that Christ has done to now saying, and this is how it applies. This is what you need to be concerned with. This is why what Christ has done is important. So starting in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. And what he's doing here is he's going to summarize the entire nine and a half chapters that were previously done. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay. When a Jewish, when someone who had come out of the Jewish faith would read what we just read, they would recognize that what he's talking about, this cleansing this uh, we have confidence to enter the the holy place by the blood of Jesus <coughs> that we have this high priest that we have been that our consciences have been sprinkled clean that our that our bodies have been washed with pure water all of this was what was expected of priests in that old system in that sacrificial system, this was the cleansing and the the sanctifying, the setting apart of the priests who were going to be serving in God's temple and were going to be serving God himself and serving the people in behalf of God. Um, what Jesus did, his death, his life, his resurrection, what he's doing now by standing before the throne of God and interceding for us, all these things that he, he has done, we, we like to remember that, hey, when we're saved, we are saved from hell. We are saved from that wrath of God that is coming upon, uh, coming upon those who have not repented, who have not turned away from their sins. 
but sometimes we forget you're not just saved from those things. You are saved to a purpose. You are saved to service for God. Continuing on in verse 23. So because of all, because of all these things, because of what Christ has done, because of this position, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful uh, so we've been cleansed we've been set apart we've been sanctified we've been essentially made priests to the service of God now what's our responsibility Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I know what the truth is now. Now I'm going to hang on to it. Now I'm not going to let it go. Now I'm not, gonna, not going to swerve. I'm not going to turn back to those old things that I was doing before. Uh, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. He's... One of the things that the priests were supposed to do, they were representing God to the rest of the congregation of Israel. Now, we no longer have the priest system. We no longer have a temple. We no longer have that old system. Now, we are priests. Now, it is our responsibility. Uh, he talks about uh, you, you are to stimulate one another, or in some translations, stir up one another to love and good works. That stirring up, that stimulating, it, it was used to picture stirring a pot, getting things worked up. Sometimes we like to get worked up about the wrong things. It's okay to get worked up about the right things. It's okay to get worked up about we need to we need to be loving one another. We need to be loving those who don't know Christ. And not just loving in word, but also loving in deed. We need to be focusing on uh, how our good deeds can bring others to know who Christ is and what he's done. And this next part, it's, it's a big thing because this is what the author of Hebrews was really trying to combat when he was sending this letter to these, these Jewish Christians. 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. <coughs> so this is what was happening. You had people who, who said they believed what God had done. They said they, they believed what Christ had done. But because of persecution, because those who were still in the old Jewish system coming to them and saying, hey, you need to get back with the program. You need to be doing all of these old things. You need to be offering the sacrifices. You need to be joining in our assemblies. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. 
because of that persecution, there were some there were some who, even though they knew the truth, were falling back into that old pattern just because they didn't want to be persecuted. And the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, this isn't right. If you are, if you have, if you say you have believed Christ, if you say that you value what he has done, you can't be going back and doing those old things. You can't be going back to the shadow when you have Christ. Um, it puts you in danger, which he's going to get into. So not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And by the way, that assembly, um, he uses the word that is used for um, synagogue, a gathering. He just doesn't use the word church. Um, and that's possibly because by the time the book of Hebrews was written, that word church was reserved for the church as a whole, the entire body of Christ everywhere, believers everywhere, whereas this this synagogue, this gathering together is exactly what we're doing now. The gathering together as a local body, as a group of believers, considering what Christ has done and how we might continue to further what he is doing in this world and in our community and and how we might fulfill the will of God that he has for us. So don't don't run away from the assembling, the local assembling of believers just because you're being persecuted, just because people are looking at you cross-eyed because you get up at what time to go to church or don't don't run away from that. Rather, run to that and encourage one another. We are here partially in order to make sure that all of us as brothers and sisters keep on the same path, keep going towards Christ, keep going towards what Christ has for us. Um, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I looked at a couple of different commentaries. They had different things to say about this. Um, one, if the book of Hebrews, in one sense, if the book of Hebrews was written to people in, to Jewish believers in Palestine, this was before the Romans came and destroyed the temple. Um, talking about a, a judgment that was going to come on the generation of Jews that refused to believe who Christ was and what he has done, even though he had been alive and they had seen him and they had, they had crucified him along with the Roman government. And there was that judgment coming, but I think as I look throughout the, through the rest of this chapter, it's probably more referring to that day that all Christians should be looking forward to, the return of Christ. 
said he's coming back. Uh, and I was, after having spent uh, basically this last half of the week uh, helping, helping and watching Joseph give birth, the, the return of Christ is compared in Romans. It talks about the entire creation groaning and pains of childbirth. Talks and in different places in Scripture, it talks about all the things that have to happen, the wars and rumors of wars, and all the bad things that that are going to happen before Christ decides to come back, and before he's, he actually comes back. And after spending a week of watching goats give birth and waiting for goats to give birth, some in some cases till six in the morning. Uh, there's a few observations that I made from that. Uh, and fathers and mothers, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're looking forward to Christ. You're looking forward to that new birth. You're looking forward to that new life. You're looking forward to what's going to happen. But the closer and close, closer and closer that that day comes, the worse and worse and worse things get moods and the pains and the sickness and the all the other things that are involved in pregnancy the closer it comes the closer it gets the worse things get until it's over and that new life has been born that day looking forward to to Christ and looking forward to when Christ is going to come back again. I can't wait. But also, I realize that there are things that have to happen, that things have to get worse. And you know, there have been bad things that have happened in our history. There have been bad things that have happened since Christ ascended up into heaven and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting until his enemies become are waiting until his enemies be made his footstool. That's actually earlier in this chapter in Hebrews. There are things that have to happen, and I look at all the bad things that have happened, and I say, you know, I believe Jesus is coming back like he said he was going to. And so if these bad things have happened, World War One, World War Two, everything that happened, uh, everything that's happened over the last... 2,000 years, and he's not here yet, number one, those were bad, but that means they're probably false labor, since he's not back yet, and number two, I should expect things to get worse, not better. I don't mean to say that as a downer, but hey, Christ is who he said he is. And if he said, hey, these things are going to happen, things are going to get worse. In the last days, people are going to fall away. In the last days, not even those who are in the church are going to claim, are not even those who claim to be in the church are going to believe the apostasy, the falling away. That's 
1 Thessalonians, I believe. If he's not back yet, things are going to get worse. And as you see that day approaching, as you see things getting worse and worse and worse, it's just one more confirmation that, hey, he's getting closer. He's going to be here. Now, I said today that we were going to talk about the danger of knowing the truth because as we sit here, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, and listen to the truth of God's word and listen to everything he's done for us and uh, everything that our lives ought to be because of that. We get to this next verse, these next few verses in Hebrews. And different commentators say different things. The one big theological word that I would use for these next few verses is scary. Scary because of what can happen. For, this is verse 26, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve, he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <coughs> now, I, I am going to, to say that Different commentators see this differently, but whichever, whichever way you look at it, whether it's you knew the truth but didn't actually believe and therefore fall under the ju judgment of God, or whether you actually believe and because of some reason you returned to those old things that you you were doing before, you lose any reward that you would have received from Christ. Regardless which interpretation is correct, it's scary. The problem that was happening in this in this church, in this group of believers that he was talking that he was talking to was in order to get away from persecution, in order to be accepted, they were returning to everything that they did before. Uh, they were returning to their old system. They were returning to their old way of life. Now, let's think about this a little bit. 
For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, think about that. We sit here and we have heard the truth. We know that Christ has come and he has lived and he has died for our sins and we know this is what he has done for us. But knowledge is not enough. Knowledge of that fact is is never enough. Maybe let's use an example. Which one of you has the horn? Do you have the horn on your... You want to beep that for me? Okay. You know what you know what that means. You know that means he's coming. Right? You know it. So what happens if you don't get out of the way? is not enough. It must be accompanied by action. The getting out of the way. And in the same way, to know what Christ has done, to know that He has come, to know that He has paid for your sin, to know that He has set you apart, to not only being a priest for his service, but also a son and an heir and a part of God's family. If knowing is all that we do, we have missed it. The proof of our faith God knows who who is here. He says that in Second uh, Timothy, the the seal of God is this: God knows who are His, but also that everyone who names Christ walks away, removes themselves from wickedness. the The proof of our faith for us and for those who who see us that proof is in what you do that proof is in how you look and how you respect what Christ has done and how you put that above everything else in your life above above your business above your family um, god forbid above your church sit here and we know what Christ has done but are we living it? Is the truth that I am hearing on Sunday changing the way I live on Monday? Now, for the believers that he's talking to I've 
he says, hey, guess what? You're, you've been doing pretty well. Verse 32, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, so after you received this knowledge, after you, you figured it out, you heard it, after the former days, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. Now listen to this list. Partially by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partially by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And then here it is, reminding them, hey, guess what? He's coming back. For yet a very, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. <clears throat> you know, we are blessed in America to have what we like to call freedom of religion. You are free to be here today. The government does not say you may not, you may not go to church you may not follow Christ. You may not. The government, to this point in our history, has not said that. Has that made us weak? Has that cheapened what Christ has done? Now, I... I like coming here. I really do. But sometimes I think I get far too comfortable when I come here because I can. So it's not necessarily a struggle for us to come here. If the day comes, and it may, when it is no longer acceptable, no longer profitable, no longer, quote-unquote, proper to be a Christian. If that day comes in our country, how many of us are still going to be here? Because this is what the Christian, this is what these Christians in the book of Hebrews, this is what they were facing. And this is what many of our brothers and sisters around the world face every day. Hopefully pastor will be back next week because I'm looking forward to the next part of my series. But since he's not here, I wanted to look at this passage of Scripture because I don't want us to take for granted what Christ did. Now, today's the first Sunday of the month. If I can have the guys who are doing communion come up, we're going to take communion. <clears throat> 